0: Again, Welcome back to the Championship Vision Podcast. I am Coach Kevin Furtado. Today we have episode 120. Today we're so excited to be talking to Associate Head Women's Basketball Coach at Clackamas Community College in Oregon City, Oregon. Kurt Gilsdorf is in his 28th year coaching and second at the collegiate level. He began coaching and teaching after earning an undergraduate degree at Portland State University and Arizona State University for teacher education, graduate work, and Portland State, again, for a master's degree. Currently, Coach Gilsdorf is associate head coach at Clackamas Community College in Oregon City, Oregon. The Cougars have made the NWAC playoffs in each of his two years, compiling a 36-17 and 17 overall record. Previously, Gilsdorf was the head or co-head girls basketball coach at Oregon City High School from 2003 to 2018. The Pioneers had a record of 354 and 67 during that time, an 84% winning percentage. Oregon City also won 13 district championships and three state championships. His overall record in 21 years as a head high school girls basketball coach is 451 and 123, which is number eight all time in Oregon high school history. Previous to Oregon City, Gilsdorf was at Gresham High School, his alma mater, for eight years, six as head girls basketball coach. Gilsdorf has been named District Coach of the Year eight times and State of Oregon Coach of the Year two times. He co-coached his first three years at Oregon City High School with recent Women's Basketball Hall of Fame coach Brad Smith. The Gilsdorf family includes wife of 23 years, Kristen, and twin daughters Carrie and Kylie, 19, and Kaden 15. He has, <clears throat> he has dogs, which include Lucy, Desi, Maggie, and Hadley. All girls. <laughs> so, coaches, I'd really like to welcome uh, Coach Gilsdorf to our podcast. And again, um, I love to speak to coaches from all over the country. And what we find is there's a lot of unique perspectives on how to coach a game of basketball. And Kurt's really going to offer us that. Uh, he's really well known for his uh, dribble drive <clears throat> Uh, offense and also his press defenses so um, I'm really going to be writing a lot of notes because that's how we like to play and I'm gonna try to get some some concepts that I'm not familiar with that he can help teach me and I'm really looking forward to kind of picking his brain so coaches let's welcome coach Kurt Gilsdorf. Kurt welcome to the podcast. Hey Kurt. Hey
1: Kevin how are you?
0: Good how you doing my friend?
1: Good, good. Is your dentist appointment go okay?
0: Well, well, I tell you, I had um had a root canal done, so I'm not, I'm not, I'm feeling a little bit better actually. But um, it's one of those things. You get to my age, man, you gotta get it, gotta stay healthy, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. That's I was, I was thinking, you know, during these times, I you get a dentist to come in, and is that what you had to do or what?
0: It's interesting because you know they check your fever, and thank God, you know, I'm, 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 everything's okay. Um and then the whole place is just about empty. They can't have anybody else in there. It, I mean it, it's really odd, man. It's so strange now. Everything all everything's changed. So, but I guess it's for the better. Right. Um and it, it's a major if it's a major procedure then they can do it. Um something I had to get done actually.
1: Right. I can imagine. Um, so.
0: Um but man, what this is crazy times right now, coach. I tell you. Um it's crazy times for basketball coaches too.
1: It is, it is, there's no doubt. A lot of a lot of people learning um online. And I tell you, I've had my hands full of replying to emails um from that virtual clinic, so which is good. Like my wife tells me it's good. People are people are connected. So
0: very good. I had a chance to watch it and I thought it was terrific. I'm gonna ask you a lot of questions on that. Sure. Uh and I know you're busy and hopefully I won't take up too much of your time, but I appreciate you joining me. Hey, uh, tell us kind of how you got started uh, really as a kid and how that created into what you're doing right now. Talk about your journey just kind of growing up with the game.
1: Well, you know, I was a typical kid growing up in the in the seventies and eighties, you know, um, playing hoop out in the backyard, playing hoop whenever we could, and and I just had a I was an only child, so so the the court, the the baseball field, the the playing catch, that was kind of a great escape for me. Um and so just fell in love with sports probably, um, too competitive. I, I was one of those kids that if I lost, <laughs> I lost a game, I I'd, I'd cry. And, and it was just awful. And, and the end of the world. And, and if I was watching my favorite team on TV, it was the end of the world. Um, I can still remember yelling at Danny Ainge when he was on the Celtics and I was a big Laker fan. Um, and, uh, just, uh, you know, that, that was kind of the beginning there and that led into playing in high school, like most people do. And I had a, a little, um, heart issue thing that that they never could quite figure out and I was a junior college d3 level guy but I never did play in college and and I've always thought that that um because of that you know I played in high school and had a good career there and then didn't wasn't able to make that next step for medical reasons um it kind of kept a passion I never like burned out on the game I uh and so after a few years in college I I jumped into a, a volunteer position for my old high school and And I knew on day one, that was what I wanted to do. I knew that the coaching was a passion. It was baseball at that particular point, but I knew that I loved it. I I loved the energy that young people gave me. And I just uh, threw myself into, into both baseball and basketball at that point.
0: Yeah. It's funny how you said that. I mean, I can definitely relate to just for the love of the game and, you know, just, just, I mean, you, you know, you go to a camp, you know, I I went to the San I'm from California. So I, I go to a Santa Clara camp and, you know, I get Carol Williams and all those great coaches, you know, help me out. And I bring my, bring my, my workouts home and work out all day. Those are the good old days when kids actually just played on their own. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That, I think, I think there's a lot of good research on that stuff where kids just learn how to play and learn how to interact. And, and, um and so it's, it, it's hopefully we can get back to that a little bit when this all clears up. But uh we try to create those things in our practices, you know, as, as we move forward. But uh, yeah, that, that individual go out and play thing is is certainly uh, something that I did as a kid.
0: Yeah. I think, I think there's a combination of that. The kids got to do both, I think, but uh, tell me about your, your mental, your, your great mentors that you've been associated with. Um, now, did you say you grew up in Oregon?
1: Yeah, I did. I grew up You're in a little Oregon town kid. of Gresham, which is east of, yeah. of Portland. And that's where my first job was as I, I realized coaching was what I wanted to do. At that point, you know, you're in 1990, whatever it is, um, 89-ish, I guess. I'm, I'm a junior in college. I'm a marketing major thinking I'm just going to get into business, and all of a sudden, I want to be a teacher and a coach, and uh, kind of reached out to my old high school guys. Uh, Larry Newton, Scott Carpenter were guys that were my high school, uh, coach and then slash my first AD. And those were guys that kind of got me going. And, and really the only reason I got my first job is, is I had went to the school at, at Gresham out there in the East side of town and, and they knew I'd be loyal uh, that I, I was probably as clueless as you could be. I had a lot of energy. Um, I was passionate about, about coaching, but looking back at it, I, I knew so little about coaching. It was crazy, but, uh, that's kind of where I got started doing JV2 boys, JV2 boys for another year. I did baseball at a different school, uh, went back to grad school, came back and, and got on board at, at there doing JV girls, never really having planned on ever coaching on the girls side, just something that I needed a job. And that's where it kind of steamrolled from there. And the next year, the the varsity coach left and I ended up getting the, the head coaching job in 96, 97. And, and uh, again, clueless is all get up.
0: <laughs> I think we've all been there. Uh, you mentioned a key word. It's, it sounds like to me, people, somebody saw your enthusiasm and passion for the game, right? Because you can't hide that. And that's key for coaches, right? Is that something you try to kind of teach the coaches out there? Hey, man, you might not know everything and, and we're always learning, but man, have that great passion and energy for the game.
1: Yeah, when when people will email or call and they'll ask, you know, hey, coach, I'm a young coach. I want to get into it. And, then, and I'll, I'll I'll give them info, maybe on a specific topic they're looking for. But the biggest thing I always, you know, if you want to do this, you, you've got to be passionate for it because there's a lot of roadblocks out there. Um, you're coaching in the 70s, 80s. You've probably got a, a situation where you might be coaching two or three sports and you don't do a ton of fundraising. The school pays for it. You're in an, you're in an era now where there's there's club sports probably competing with you if you're a high school guy and you're having to fundraise and you're having to try to communicate to a whole lot of people and there could be uh some playing time you know complaints that those just so many more things on your plate uh, as a coach today so i try to tell them if you're passionate about it you can get through those tough times if it's just a hey i I like the idea of doing this this is cool i i I think i can be this well if you're not passionate about it i think you get discouraged pretty quickly and and that's why I, i see a ton of turnover i you know, now at the college level, I'm going out and recruiting and trying to get kids in our area to, to come play for us. Um, there, there's a ton of new coaches, and I don't know if that's always good. I think it's always good to have some some combination of fresh blood and some some old dinosaurs to kind of – to mentor the young people.
0: Yeah, was there anybody in particular that kind of stood out to you that really helped you along the way? I know I have – I love older coaches. I don't know what it is, but I love picking the brain of older guys – because they're not afraid of telling you the truth. Who are some of your, who's one or two of your great mentors?
1: Well, you know, when I got the go- job at Gresham again, I didn't know what I didn't know. So I thought I was doing great things. And I went and talked to a couple of people and there's two of them that stand out. First of all, Brad Smith in Oregon city. He's a, a women's basketball uh, national hall of famer. Uh, probably I would, I don't think it's really much My best high school coach I've ever been around and probably the best coach I've ever been around. And I just reached out to him for advice on a lot of different things and did camps with them. And then uh, another guy named Mark Neffendorf, who was was your ultimate detail guy. He taught me um, so much about uh, the details in the game, teaching the details. And Brad was more about the passion and trying to motivate and getting the most out of your players. So it was kind of the combination of those two. And I ended up actually, after a few years, um, joining Brad Smith in the program at Oregon City, and that's a pretty special girls program uh, nationally. You know, they'd won three national championships. Uh, we combined for 12 state championships. I was able to get a part of three of those. Um, you know, we had great players, but um, Brad and Mark were guys, and and they're just perfect combination of one being the passionate motivator that, that kids would run through walls for. So I got to work side by side with him for three years, and that was the the PhD in coaching, so to say. And then Mark, uh, a guy who was so detailed, he could watch two minutes of your practice and say, these are the things that you need to be better at, or you might run something and show him the film or, or he would talk about something. And the details were like, you know, you really had to be specific with things. And I think the the best saying Mark always gave me was, was have a vision in your mind of what, what you want it to look like, whether that's a set play, whether that's press, whether that's even a practice overall. And he says, as, as make that vision come true. You know, demand that that vision that you've got in your head is how the team is going to execute it. And I always kept that in mind in anything we did. And so we we ended up being a team that could execute pretty well just because I, I always had that in the back of my mind.
0: Yeah, you have two. Yes, that's, that's two great coaches right there. And it's funny how they both gave you different perspectives. Um, but you probably kind of get, you probably stole a little bit from each one, didn't
1: you? Oh, for sure, for sure, and I and and I I tell you there's a great Brad Smith story. I, you know, had done camps with him, and and Brad was super passionate and just just a, a, the soul of that program at Oregon City, and it was amazing. Soul of that city for a long time. Um, we were uh, my first practice probably, and I I had thought if you'd have asked me in my previous jobs, hey Kurt, you know, does your team practice hard? I'd have said, yo, oh, yeah, we we practice hard. We we get after it, and then. Uh, I, I was with Brad and, and I was absolutely blown out the doors um, with how hard uh, we practiced. And I was a part of it at that point. Um, it was just mind blowing how hard the kids went, the expectations for practice, um, any of the, those things that I just was like, wow. And so, like I said, it was a PhD in coaching for me for three years, working side by side with him. Um, it was just so fun. And, and I think I'll never forget that time as, as a, as putting me to a level that I didn't really realize kids could get to.
0: Yeah. And and you're now at at Clackamas and hopefully I said that correctly. And you're at the junior college level. Don't you agree that probably some of the best players in the country are at the junior college level for different reasons. Tell us about your experience there and how you are trying to build that program.
1: Well, you know, it's just across the street from the high school, so I'm really lucky that that, that when my time there at Oregon City, it was time to, to move on, do something different. The, it was I had been good friends with the with the coach there, and uh, we we made that move. And and you know, the thing about the junior college level on the women's side, it's 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 this thing where there's a lot of on the women's side. You know, do I want to play four years? So you've got that option. Do I want to commit to four years? So you've got that option. And then at the same time, there's some some players that kind of look down and go, I don't know if I'm a two-year, I'm a four-year kid. I'm a four-year kid. So, so the biggest thing for me is, is finding the right fit. And what I tell the, the players, first of all, you know, if if I'm talking to them after a game or, or on the phone or whatever it might be the the, the biggest thing for them is to find the right fit and find a coach that believes in you. Uh, because I, I just see when I was at Oregon City, I was able to coach that we had 10 or 15 different division one kids, 10 or 15 different division two, a really talented program. And so I saw kids go to different places and and some of it worked out. But most of the time, after a year or two, you might see a transfer, you might see a kid leave one place to go to the other. And and sometimes it, it, you know, four years and and good. But I, I just think that finding the right fit is the most important thing. And if the right fit is Clackamas Community College um you know it, it, then then go for it and, and I always tell them if you have a coach that believes in you and they'll, they'll go to bat for you and, and they you know recruited you for a reason uh then then when the time gets tough because we all know that in your career you're going to have tough times maybe it's you're not playing as much maybe you're going through an injury maybe you're not shooting the ball well that you got somebody that believes in you because if you're just the the kid I'm I'm here to to do whatever or the coach was like oh we'll take that kid um uh, just because I, I think it, it ends up sometimes being those experiences that aren't as good as they should be.
0: Yeah. And don't you agree that kids, I mean, they don't know uh, because I think, I do think a lot of coaches are trying, I don't, I wouldn't call it a sales job, but they're trying to, they're trying to persuade them, but you won't know until you actually get in the program. Correct. Or how do you do it there? How do you sell to the kids? man, we really care about you. We want you here. We're going to take care of you. How do you do that as a college coach?
1: Well, the thing I've found is, is the first of all is, is showing up is number one. When you, when you find a kid, I'll give you an example of, without using names, kid we recruited and started recruiting her in December and just loved the kid. Could tell right away that that was a kid that, that wasn't six, two or six, three. So she's not going to the, to the division one. You're not going to get snatched up there and was kind of in a, in a role on her team. that was just a perfect fit for us. And so I think that, 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 that being at games, talking to them, getting to know them is really important. Letting them know all the time that, Hey, you're a priority. We we believe in you. Uh, and we think that, that you'd be a great fit. And here's the reasons why, once you start building that relationship, you know, here's how we see it. And some kids don't really know what to ask. So you try to help them out and give them information about where it fits and hey, program and stuff. And when I take them on a visit or they come out to to visit our school, it's, I don't do the, the, the school tour. I mean, every school kind of looks the same. Let's be honest. You got rooms, sure. you got, you got boardrooms, <laughs> you got, you got some sort of screen up there, but I take them to the gym you know, this is our home. This is our, 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 our team room. This is our weight room. This is the training room. And this is where, you know, you could spend, we're going to spend a lot of time together. And this is where, you know, I think you can do these things and give them a little vision of what it looks like. Kind of going back to what Mark told me about coaching is give them a vision of what it looks like. So they can start to see themselves, out there. And then I think the last piece, you know, you've talked to them, you've built the relationship, you've given a vision of what it looks like. I think them watching your team, your current team, obviously we're in a spot where we can't do that right now. um, But letting them be able to look out there and go, yeah, I see myself with that group, you know, and we have the the players interact with them a little bit, show them where they might live nearby the campus, you know, kind of give them because the players know, I mean, we can, we, as coaches, uh, can give them all the information and stuff and then you might get somewhere and it's like oh this is not what what, what was expected because you're right there are some some sales things for us at the junior college for me i i just give it to them straight you know i I've, I've been a high school guy in oregon i know just about every high school coach in the state um it's been good for me for that reason i've been able to get into gyms and help teams and at the junior college we don't we don't really have any rules so i can go to your practice if you're a high school guy and Hey coach, can you show me your favorite out of bounds play? Sure, I don't, I don't care. I'm not. <laughs> I don't care. Wins, lose, and and the nice part is I can go to games and just enjoy the game, watch the kids, uh, and not have this. Oh gosh, I got to scout that team. I got to figure out how to beat them. Have that tension. <laughs> so it's it's kind of fun to go around and see you know 25, 30 games every every winter time.
0: Yeah, and, and speaking on that, um, what are you doing now with no travel? I mean, travel ball runs are it's a basketball business let's be honest coach there's no yep. double ball going on so i mean do you think it's going to come back or you're just going to have to rely on us old high school coaches man to to get the players what do you think
1: well i i think you know depending on the kid how they rely on it if it, you know the kind of kids we're recruiting I'm, I'm probably talking more to the high school guys than the club guys i might reach out to my club buddies and, and ask them hey is there anybody that kind of maybe slipped through the cracks for you that kid that wanted to play d2 and it just didn't work out or or maybe they're just uh, not quite the right size and they want to come show somebody that they can do it for a year at the junior college and then move on um you know it's probably just a combination for me right now um and i I think and for the foreseeable future that's what it's going to be like so you know it's it's an interesting time for sure and i'm just trying to stay in touch with our kids without trying to you know be too intrusive in the, in kind of a time where they're sitting at home being with their families and and trying to trying to figure out what's going on.
0: Yeah, I, that's a great point. I think uh we're all kind of learning right what to do now at this point. Um coach, tell me about your program now, but I also you you spent 15 years at Oregon City, so I really want to talk about first of all building a culture and you one good thing you mentioned, you talked about the jelly bean jar, being great at three things. I absolutely love that. Why is that so important for coaches just to focus on those three things?
1: Well, you know, there's the thing. You can do everything um, or anything you want to as a coach, but but you can't be great at, at everything. And so, I think when you're when you're young, I can remember my practice plans. I can look back and you know, practice plans from 1997. I bet you we had 20 drills. So we just <laughs> went from we yeah. went from one to the next, and and I was that guy that would go to clinics and I would write down everything and. And even the jokes that that Bob Huggins would tell or or Lute Olson would tell, and, <laughs> and 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 you just you're doing so much that none of it really connects. And then as you get older and wiser, you start to see what you really like, and then your philosophy, you start building that. And I, I, you know, coaches ask, you know, what's the best thing? I send them an old a philosophy that I kind of update every year that has what my core beliefs are. And and for me, at, at the high school level, we were always we're going to be a running team first and foremost. And run and press, so that was kind of a combo. You know, we were going to rebound because I always felt like you know the nights that when you're not shooting, you got to win the rebound battle to kind of overcome that, especially get some offensive boards. And we're going to take care of the basketball at at a a functionally fast pace. I think Mike Neighbors used that term, but we're going to, you know, running. We're not going to throw it all over the gym, but we're going to we're going to try to take care of it so that. You know that we've got more possessions than the bad guys and that was always what I kind of hung my hat on and, and every time in, in our practice I, I always believed in anyway when you walk into a gym that a team that I'm coaching you're going to say okay they're going to try to transition you know they're going to press you a little bit um, they're, they're going to they're going to rebound and they're going to take care of the basketball uh, and those are things that I try to keep track of. The best I can without having, you know, the Division One ten assistance kind of thing, or the, and even sometimes in high school where I can say I think we had more coaches than we have over at the at the college now, just because there were so many people around that that program as we were so successful.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned I really want to kind of get into uh, you. I I, I want to get into your dribble drive because we run okay. the dribble drive, and you, man, you had some great concepts. A lot of those concepts we can't use because we're a small school and we can't. You know, we can only. Take, we can only work on so many things, but um, I really want to talk about incorporating a dribble drive. I have a big girl at six foot. So how would you adapt? Uh, we have four good little guards coming in really good. And we have one big, and I'm trying to say, Hey, you know, do we play more of a screening game? And, but we, uh, we love the driving kick. So kind of help me out a little bit having a big post player inside.
1: Well, is she a traditional back-to-the-basket type kid? Is that what you're talking about?
0: Well, I want her to be, but she actually plays better facing the basket. So that's something. She actually transferred into our school last year. I mean, she she's a good player, um, but I still put her down in the low block because she's so long and we're trying to give her. So, you know, I think she's better facing up. Maybe I need a coach her better. So I'm trying to get some feedback from you. Uh, she might be better at the high post.
1: Right. Right. Well, you know, there's a lot of things you can do. We started, you know, as, as I've done dribble drive, I was lucky enough to meet Vance Wahlberg in 2005. You know, he was recruiting a boy player at Oregon city. So I was way back when, when Vance got the Pepperdine job. And so, you know, watching the dribble drive evolve, it's been a fun process and I've kind of dove into it full bore Um, you know, with any kind of a four man, you know, you, you might, you think about the reversals and the duck ends uh we we do some stuff for post-ups where we'll we'll loop that five that trailer out and, and let that kid duck in and then play a little either high low or a dive and slide action and you might want to do something with her as as you build her post game you say hey you know i know you like drifting out to the high post but but you got to give me two lay-ins before i'm going to let you go to the high post i'm going to call <laughs> you know and, and those those are little things that you can do to to motivate players hey you know before you could shoot the elbow jumper i I need a couple post-ups. I need you to be able to get us a two-footer. And, and, in her game, you know, we, in our post stuff, we're, we're still working your traditional post-up, even though we're a dribble drive team. We, we want our bigs to be able to play with their back to the basket as well as, you know, screen and step out there. And we've added some, some Chan action, some Princeton action to get some elbow catches. You know, if that kid can step out all the way to the three point line, they can do that. We actually have a lineup this year where we played around with where we, we got, um, from dribble drive four out into we just kind of slipped into five out right uh, as as the play evolved it's, so there's lots of ways to do it i i loved dribble drive when i had a post i could get a deep touch with because i think there'll be times when you're not moving the ball well there'll be times when the, you know, the opponent is doing a great job getting in the gaps and making it hard uh, the <laughs> team we won the last state of tight state title with in 2014 we had a downsized big that was phenomenal we could get her the ball on the left block she had a great little jump hook uh, ended up being a division two guard for four years and leading her conference in three-point shooting as a senior uh, but was a four for us and could get us a, a, a block touch anytime we needed it and that's a huge difference because I think that you know if you're relying only on those four guards to make plays uh, it, it can become tough on your on your efficiency and your effective field goal percentage.
0: Yeah, and, and do you like the – because I'm really looking at utilize – I love the short corner. I mean, we – again, zones, I don't know why. I've always been a short corner guy. We, I think you can get a lot of open cuts to the basket by utilizing the short corner. Uh, what do you think about that?
1: Well, as far as zone, I think there's there's three or four areas that, that are just zone killers, and short corner is one of them. I think that mid-post area is another place that the ball is, is kind of in the gray area for the zone. You know the nail so I, anytime you're getting touches down there below the defense when they're zone um it's good stuff and you know we've done some stuff some i think some pretty creative stuff with our with our guards where we kind of run them down there and off off just a a, a zip kind of a, a princeton cut get them down there off the top sometimes we'll have the big going down there sometimes and i think Sometimes when we're coaches and I think the biggest change I've kind of made at the college level is we'll, we'll have our players be pretty interchangeable in a lot of our zone spots because we're not doing anything super fancy. It's a, it's really just a one, three, one zone with some movement to it. One-three-one zone offense. Um, and we're trying to attack the mid post and the short corner, but, but there'll be times when we need to get a certain player in a certain spot, maybe a left-handed player in a certain spot, those kind of things that, um, you kind of adjust the, the personnel, you know, based on what you're seeing the defense give you. And um that's been good to us because I think sometimes we get rigid, hey, you're always gonna be in that short corner, you're always gonna be here. And in high school you, you know, we had a very strict number system. You know, you were the one, you were the two, you were the three, you were the four, you were the five, and we played with two posts and we went dribble drive, you know, we had the four guards, but there wasn't a ton of flexibility. And now I look and I say, gosh, why why didn't I put so and so down there? Why didn't I put my point guard down in the short corner? because she's just really good at making plays, but I was so rigid, I always had the point guard up at the top. So I think those are things to think about when you're attacking zones, but short corners, great stuff. Mid-post, great stuff. Nails, great stuff. And then obviously, you got to, at some point, make a shot to stretch them out a little
0: bit. (laughs) Exactly, yes. And we'll talk about the finishing school in a second, because at the girls' level, it it might not be at your level, but at the girls' level, particularly our single-A level, finishing is, it's a it's a if you can get girls that can finish, you're going to win a lot of games, particularly in the state tournament. Um, we do a lot of pass cut. Basically our rules are pass cut and we try to move the uh, the defense from side to side. And then we try to get open gaps. Uh, you mentioned that's pretty important, right? For dribble drive action, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And what I, what i found is, is because, you know the old days, you'd come down. Your your theory and dribble drive was number one. Took it down, and they just racked it. Right. Okay. Well, <laughs> that's that's not reality. You know, I know Vance had Chris Fernandez at Fresno, and that was amazing, and and he was a tough kid. Um, but but most of us don't have that. We we've got to move the ball a little bit and shift the defense. And I, and I, and I put in my presentation on that virtual clinic is teams are much better garden dribble drive now that the they they get into gaps they pack it in they essentially try to turn it into a two three zone and so conversely as coaches we have to move those defenders you know whether it's a one to five to three ball reversal you know where it just gets reversed and now um we condense aside uh by shifting everybody one way and now you open up a big gap for your players we use all kinds of different cuts um Like I said, if any of your listeners want to want to go to that virtual clinic and go to the replays, I've got my PDF. They can email me, and maybe we can even give the email at the end of this. Yes, for sure. Shoot it, shoot it, Um, because I've got a lot of concepts I've come up with, and we just try to give them names and keep it simple. You know, whether it's an arrow cut, which for us would be if you can visualize your one on the right side in the slot passes it just a tandem pass up top, and now they cut all the way through to the bottom left corner. that's what we would call an arrow cut. And then a, a nail cut for us would be a – a lot of coaches call it a loop cut, just dragging your defender through the nail and back out and replacing the other player. Um, all those little cuts there that, that move that defender uh, are huge if you're trying to open up gaps in dribble drive nowadays because you just can't come down and pound it without uh, without moving some players.
0: Yeah, and we use a lot of screens. Kurt. Um, we, we have a great point guard that's actually – being looked at by mercer and some other schools so we you know we, we got some good little guards we like to use tell me what you think and maybe i can adjust it we like to do a lot of horns action and try to get try to get you know either a pick and roll or try to get a drive action and then if that doesn't work we go right into the dribble drive is there something else i can do to adjust that a little bit what do you guys do What screen
1: well the 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 we don't use a ton of screens ball screens we do use some screens in some of our set actions. The thing I've loved about horns is I've started to incorporate that is it it, it lifts that big out of there. I think for anybody out there listening that's a dribble drive guy, everyone's had the problem of can I move that big defender that's sitting in the paint? Because uh, on the girl side, that layin that that you know, driving lay in with X four X five coming over and the guard covering down, that's a hard shot sometimes. Right. And, and in dribble drive, sometimes that's the shot. You're like, Oh, this is what we want. I've got my kid rack in it. They're getting to the rim. They're in the rack zone, whatever you want to call it. And now all of a sudden they're, they're having to shoot a contested shot. You know, they can't go up and dunk it. Like maybe on the guys there, they can't go up and take a bump as well. And so number one, we're, we're working on those things in practice, taking a bump and finishing, Uh, But also the the things like horns, I love that idea of lifting them up and you could do a million things out of the horns. We use a couple little fake actions to create gaps to drive into. Uh, We use it as a ball screen flare screen just to get a late clock shot. Uh, You can do it traditional you can you can come off a, a horn screen and roll the one kid down and pop the kid back. There's 8 million things out of horn that you can do. Sure, and I think you can figure out what your personnel is great. But I love it for the simple fact that you're lifting the opponent's big out of the paint. Um you're getting that defender up and out of the paint so that let's say you're really good one um and I can send you some stuff coach that that just has some things where that that post just stays high and you give those guards chances to to get in the paint. Yeah, know, for sure. And, and because it's it's been really good to us this year we were pretty efficient offensively um and i think the horns we did that we leaked a little five out where we would start hype you know princeton where we would we would go ball reversal and that post would lift up instead of back pick everybody kind of knows the princeton chin action right um and we would just sometimes if it was our shooter we would just back pick and step out and now we would be completely five out out of that um and play the same principles as dribble drive but i've always told people because they ask about five out and dribble drive. And I always tell them, I, I love five out, but I like starting four out and then getting into five out after something happened. For example, the chin action or a horns action or a or some sort of stagger curl, um, something like that, because um, I do use that the, uh, concept of a forced curl quite a bit, which is, you know, a screening action with a player automatically curling off the screen because what I found that does is it it's that last screener gets wide open on a catch and, and then downhill off that catch. And, and again, I know that's getting maybe hard to visualize, uh, you know, listening, but
0: um, <laughs> no, I got, yeah, for sure. Yeah.
1: The fourth curl, in, you know, like I said, if you do start five out, you know, walking box, do a great Budenholzer. I always am watching him when he does his five out, because he's always got to find ways to give Giannis gaps. Now comparing Giannis to high school or college girls is, is ridiculous, but, <laughs> You know, the bucks do a great job of it. It goes from one side to the top to the other side. And now they'll stagger. And so off that stagger, they do about two or three different things that are really good that any high school coach could use that does five out. If the ball comes down the middle of
0: Hey, this is NBA skills coach Drew Hanlon of Pure Sweat Basketball, and I'd love to help you get game results this season. Check out a free trial of my Pure Sweat training app on the Google Play and App Store today.
1: Hi, I'm Alex Stevenson, Athletic Director and Girls Basketball Coach at Dodd City. I've been at Dodd City for seven years. During those seven years, we've won seven district championships, been to six regional tournaments and three state championship games. I'm a huge fan of this podcast, what it brings, and the platform that we're able to share knowledge and wisdom on and, and grow as coaches. Before they pass, they just go screen away. Most of the time, they'll curl that. And then the guy that set the screen turns right around and now they're on the top of the key with a huge gap to their right and a shooter in the corner. If you can visualize what I just said there. So, you know, I think five out is just, there's just not enough room, but if you do something to start it, it's phenomenal. Um, as far as helping you get more gaps to drive into.
0: Yeah, I can definitely visualize that coach. And I, um and, and tell me if I'm online, what you're saying on that. We do a lot of, we also run a lot of what I call, um, our motion offense, which is basically a, a, a flex, a flex action. Now we never start with a guard to guard. We always send that one player, that cutter through. And then that kind of opens up the offense. It also opens up a dribble drive from the top as well. I I like sending a lot of cutters because girls at our level defenders do not defend cutters very well, always opens, opens gaps. So you're saying more cutters, the better, right?
1: Yeah, I I do. I think that that if we just come down and try to get into a set or a a flex or or whatever it might be, I think, you know, let's be honest. What would the other team do for two days getting ready for you? They probably came down, they handed the ball to the the scout team and the scout team ran, Okay, they're going to run. You know, Coach Kevin's got his flex offense, so we're going to we're going to work against that. But why not go one pass, two pass? give a little action first. And, and I heard Billy Donovan talk about this a while ago, because remember he was so famous for his side pick and roll motion or kind of a continuity ball screen offense. Well, he started adding these little wrinkles that eventually got him into what he wanted, got him into his continuity. And, you know, he just did it with, with little actions, whether that was a couple cutters through and now we're in flex or whether that was a couple cutters through, and now we're in our dribble drive, or maybe it's a pass, pass, screen away. Now we're in dribble drive or whatever it is you want to get into. I think, you know, I've called those actions like little false motions. False motions. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or, or, And again, everybody has a different definition on that, but I, I like it is for me, it's just something that's disguising what I really want to get. You know, I might curl a kid off a double screen and, and you might think we're trying to get a three on the top, but really I want to get the second screener popping back for an, for an isolation drive um you know some of that stuff it's really um pretty simple and and it's not complicated and even on day one we'll start installing that false motion stuff because for me a false motion is one or two passes and we're moving and then we're into it so it's something that you can you can teach um pretty easy like day one for us we had put in three false motions and then from there maybe by the end of week one we're starting to put uh, a quick hit in and we've already started building for us. it's our dribble drive. so we've, we're we teaching the kickbacks, the kickups. and we've given all those names. Like for us, a number system, a kickback a, from the one to the five trailer is a, is a 100. And I've always felt like naming things makes it better. So I don't have to say kick up two guys, kick up two. It was always for us just a 200 or a 300 for the three and those kind of things. So it was trying to create that vocabulary for your team. I think is one of the huge things and I know as a young coach, I was bad at it. I probably didn't, didn't have a, a very good vocabulary to teach things. And I've learned a lot from football guys. They have a great vocabulary. When you listen to a football coach, talk about tree routes um, for their wide receivers. And they'll tell you, okay, this is a one that's an inside a two. And, and the kids get it. And so I I've, I've spent a lot of time with football coaches at all the schools I've been at over the years, listening to them, talk, uh, they have a family of plays like one coach I knew he had a family of plays that were all named after birds. So it was Sparrow and Blue Jay <laughs> and Robin. And, right. But, but you know what I mean? I mean, you don't have to use those exact ones, but you do get a little family and, it, and the kids know it. They know that they're in this family, you know, horns is an easy one because you can just yell horns because that's a pretty good one syllable term. But some of the other stuff, we use words like waves. We use words like arrow. We use words like jet. Um, and what i found because i don't have them like in high school i had kids for seven eight years from the fifth grade on up and so they were they could really press uh, because i think pressing takes at least probably two years to really teach well um but offensively you know the college kids can pick up things pretty quick so we can we can do a little bit more advanced offensively things probably a little bit harder for me to press as much at the college level because they don't have the the years of coming forward, because so many you know, you get college kids. You recruit twelve of them, maybe six of them uh, ran back into a two-three zone or a half-court man. Maybe three of them pressed a little bit, and maybe three of them pressed a lot. So to, to try to mix that up is is kind of challenging. So vocabulary becomes huge, so that they can remember things, whether that's offensive vocabulary uh, or defensive vocabulary.
0: Yeah, I totally agree because I think language gives you an identity right coach i mean at least within your own circle uh, i think it's important for teams to have that language um because let, let's let's talk about your defense we're a pressing team now i i like to use one press and really be great at that you're kind of a multiple pressing coach right tell us about your philosophy on on, on pressing half court and full
1: court yeah, when I was in high school, I was, uh, 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 we're, a, we're a way of life pressing. I always tell coaches, are you, are you a way of life coaching? You mean you're going to press come hell or high water?" <laughs> uh, or are you going to press situa- you know, press situationally? Uh, uh, on free throws, A lot of my, my guy coach buddies, uh, on, on the guy's side, they're, they're kind of situational press guys, because uh, on the men's side, you do have a lot of uh, one-man press breaks. you know, get it to their best kid and they just can, right. just can shred your press and so <laughs> they, they get nervous there but on free throws and then you can be, you know, obviously most of us have a press to, you know, we're down eight with two minutes to go. We got to press. So for me, I was always a way of life press guy. And in our practices, you could see that in the high school level, we would often practice with three teams of six to build our depth uh, for the next year. That was one of the beauties of being at high school is I think that ability to to cultivate the next group coming with something at Oregon city. I mean, you win 12 state championships within I think it was an 18 year window. You, you were doing some pretty good stuff yeah. and obviously wow. great players made that happen, but um, you know, building your depth. But as far as pressing goes uh, early on, when I was with Brad and I were together, we were, we were pretty multiple. We were, we were doing some man run and jump. We were doing some um, uh, zone trapping. We were doing some soft press, some two, two, one soft press. When we would play um, some of the national powerhouse teams that were super athletic on some of our stuff and as we moved along we became more as as the the the, we had some amazing division one athletes at that point and we were still pretty darn good but we became more of 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 a zone trap to get you sped up and i always believed that you know you start out a game we would be in your face for 94 feet um and we were going to try to speed you up because we felt like that the more possessions favored us the you didn't practice as fast as we did kind of philosophy. And that eventually we were going to wear you out. And so we would start out zone trapping. And as soon as you start throwing that ball around, because, you know, every coach is going to teach it. Well, to beat the zone press, we're going to have to throw the ball around. And uh, we did that typically out of the one, two, two formation, depending on our personnel. If we were playing two posts, it was a diamond formation. And we kind of matched up. So it really, truly both those became matchup presses. If you were going to bring three up, we were going to bring three up. Sure. Uh, If you had a two up, two back, we were going to talk about how to match there. And I think the the thing about a press and and to go kind of on a little side tangent as a coach, you have to be really good at adjusting because I use the, the, when I talk at clinics about my defense, I tell coaches, I said, press breaks, they might align in a two up, two back or a four across or whatever. But once the action starts happening and we start getting after you, it's kind of like a snowflake. No, no two press breaks ever really are alike. Um, You know, there's the panic situation. There's the kid that tries to get it to the middle, but can't. There's There's the ball reversal back. And we always use Patino's rules. If the ball gets passed backwards, we can zone up again at the next level. And I think the part of the beauty of the number system that I use is that we can go from one level of trap, let's say all the way up, you inbound the ball, we're trapping you. And now you pass it backwards to the inbound guy. Maybe we tried to shoot the gap and didn't get it. Or maybe we decided that you were taking away, a, we were trying to take away a flash cutter to the middle. And so we stayed home on that backside elbow um, and you reverse it. Now we'll, we'll go back one level. You know, we have zones, we have the four zone, the three zone and the two zone. We'll, we'll drop a level and we'll zone trap you again. And I always told Brad, when I got on board at Oregon city, that that system of of transitioning from one press to another whether it was a zone trap to a man to man or whether it was a zone trap to the next level of a zone trap was one of the most amazing things I ever saw. Cause I never really thought of that. Most presses are one and done. You know, you try to trap once and then you get out of it. (laughs) Sure. Um, I kind of learned a system where we were able to um, you know, trap at one level and then trap again, based on some, some simple concepts of, of sprinting out of traps, 45 degree angle retreats, uh, three hard sprint steps to get to your next level. And we would even do things where, you know, where the kids would have to close their eyes and we would want them to visualize where they would be on the floor. If we drop back a level, you know, okay, we're, we're all the way up in the four zone here. What's it look like if we're back at the three zone, the two zone and, and in our traps and our stuff. So, um, you know, multiples a great way to be. I, I think as, as I went along, I always analyzed each team And toward the end of my high school, we were we were a a one-two-two team, or we were a man-to-man, full-court press team. But but we weren't too many other things. Um, You know, early on, we could do two-two-ones and one-two-twos. But we were looking at you know we had a McDonald's All-American my first year, kid that went to Washington, kid that went to Syracuse. So we were just loaded with really high IQ kids. And not that the kids that come and were weren't as high IQ. It's just that um, you always got to figure out as a coach what you're best at. And so, you know, if you do too many things, like I said in the jelly bean jar analogy, you start over overflowing that jar. You you, you can't be great at everything. So you you got to make those decisions too, as a as a press coach. But um, you know, th- those are just some thoughts on on the defensive pressure and what I like to do at high school. But the college level, we're very much like a lot of my guy coach buddies. We're we're selective in our press. Yeah. we might press on a free throw. We might press a certain team. We may feel like that we're we're just not doing something offensively very well, and we want to try to um speed the game up or get us some easy shots or just get us loosened up and get into some press and get the ball going up and down a little bit more um so we're a little bit more selective there, and again, I think that will vary each year and in a in a two year college situation, I think it will vary wildly from from year to year um with some of the kids we might get and you know, if we get a really good D2 drop-down kid or a D1 drop-down kid, heck, we might be able to completely change what we decide to do um, based on the talent of, of that particular player.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because the the JC, you're probably getting new kids all the time. So you literally, based on personnel, you have to adjust, but the kids are older and more experienced, so they probably can handle it, correct?
1: Yeah, they can. And I think, you you know, like I said, it, it's it's one of those ones that I – I found out right away, I told Jim, the guy that I work with, I kind of call him, my, my title is the associate head coach. We work side by side together. He's been there for 22 years uh, and is a horrific guy to work for. Just just awesome. I get, you know, control of the practices and how we're installing things. And it's really, really kind of your ultimate college job is, you know, he's kind of the AD too. So he does all the scheduling. So I get to come in for two, two and a half hours and, and plan practice and talk to the kids and, and run them through stuff. And, and he's right there with me. And then. Then I, I kind of, you know, shoot with a couple of them afterwards and I go home. Yeah. Whereas in high school, in high school, not bad. My career, I felt like <laughs> it's a great gig. I, I, I tell you, you know, some of my buddies that were, um, you know, my high school day, I felt like I was always replying to emails and there was a seventh grade issue. So just to shorten that version, it's a pretty good gig. Yeah. Um, but but as far as adjusting, yeah, you've got kids coming that, that like, oh, you, you thought they could do this, but maybe they couldn't because you, you know them, but you really don't know them until you start practice. I mean, you can recruit a kid, you can watch them play. You can get, and then all of a sudden you get in there and go, Man, this kid can really shoot it. And I really didn't know that. So we got we to gotta figure out some things um, uh, to get them the ball in certain spots that I didn't expect. And so for me, being a dribble drive guy, and, and Jim, the, the, the coach I work with, uh, he is a dribble drive guy. See, we were constantly tinkering with that, that. Where do we get them? Where do we space them? And it was kind of fun. I, I really enjoyed that evolving of, of, of how we do things because it's really almost turned into a hybrid of what you would call a true dribble drive. It's more of just, you know, (laughs) we've got kids that you look dribble drive and you're, you're seeing the the paint touches, but there's also some other things. You're like, "Ah, that's, that's kind of cool. So I've really enjoyed it. It's been fun.
0: Coach. I know you got to go. I know you have another podcast you have to do, but before you go talk about your practices, you seem like a practice coach? Can you give us a basic format of what you like to do and then, man, throw in one of your favorite drills. I always try to get a favorite drill of a coach that what they want to do every single day though. Can you talk about your practices?
1: Sure. You know, at the high school level, I'll, I'll kind of give you two versions. The high school level, we were going to start out with with every kid in our program in the gym together. And I thought that was huge. A lot of coaches, high school, I'll, I'll go to a practice and I'll watch, you know, the freshmen go to the back gym and the JVs go upstairs and the varsity's got the main floor. I, at Oregon City, uh, I was all 36, 40 kids in the gym together, and we had some very efficient, you know, the Tate slock box drills. You had the sideline footwork drills that, that Don Showalter does. Yeah. You know, some, some ball handling, uh, some heavy balls. We had a whole bunch of heavy balls. I think on the girl side, if you're not using heavy balls, you're making a mistake um, because they 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 need that strength training to be able to skip a pass. Sure. To be able to fire sure. the ball. So we, we do that. Uh, Go through some ball handling. We might do some finishing school stuff in that first 20 minute block where we're working reach finishes, um, you know, inside hand finishes, uh, adding rondos, you know, things like that. That I want to start building the layers um, of their skill work. Uh, And so, you know, there maybe then at the 20 minute mark, you might send half the group. For us, it was, you know, like maybe 18 kids to go start their transition stuff. So then my next segment was always transition. So, again, you've got your fundamental block at the beginning. Sure. I still do that in college. It's just a little shorter. Um, we because we don't practice as long as I did in high school. In high school, we were going like 245 every day. Nice. Um, and it was, yeah. yeah, it was, we were, I was, I was crazy. And I, yeah. I heard from Brad's kind of crazy because he was, very, <laughs> it, it gave us an advantage. I think we were, but at the same time, I look back and I go, did I need to go all those hours? So that's a whole nother podcast probably <laughs> talking about, about how we push kids and stuff. Sure. But, Next block was always transition. I always wanted to do my transition stuff early, and some of that would be your 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 Wahlberg drills, your Texas twenty ones, yeah. your blood drills. We we changed the name to attack drills just because you know high school coach. You know I use blood all the time as a as a title of a drill. We love the attack twenty twos, uh, and then we would get into a drill we called running groups. And I can share that with anybody that wants to email me. Sure, sure. I, I thought it was the, and it's a tough one. I, I'm not going to explain it here because it's going to take me 20 minutes. Okay. But it's not it's not <laughs> that complicated of a drill. It was a transition drill with three teams, and it was something that we just kind of. If you were to put a drill and say, "What what are you all about as a high school coach?" That would be one, and I wouldn't even call it a drill. It's it's a game. It's a game. And it's a game. It's a game that has constraints to it, though. It's a game that you're working five on three one way, and you're working five on five the other and it involves defensive transition it involves pressing it involves kids handling pressure that was always my favorite it's a tough one to to um explain um but it was one that man I tell you what if you wanted to take a high school team and and get them going up tempo i would email me as soon as we're done because i'm telling you what it was one that i've got some video from my high school time that i could send you uh, and it's a terrific one. Yeah, I would love as far that, as the sure. goes, yeah. you know that you know when we get out of our transition, then we're gonna go into probably a session of our you know, maybe it's a scout that week, uh, early in the season, we're gonna get into our offense and defensive uh, stuff, and we'll kind of do that together um, early in the season. you know I've gone to a lot of words like you know any of my I don't even know if it's a regular old shell drill anymore, but we use names like you know Westbrook is a driver. The Curry is a shooter, and a Durant is a player that can do both. Okay, And so the, so on day one, day two, week one, when we're doing our, our defensive stance, how we want them to stand, How here's how you're going to guard the ball, we immediately start talking about those things, okay? Today, everybody's a Westbrook on the perimeter. And, again, this is no slam to Russell Westbrook because he's one of the greatest players in the game today. <laughs> but but he's a driver first. Yes, yeah, driver. And, and if I'm going to – you know, a driver. So I, I want them to not drive on me. So we're going to we're going to be off of them. we don't do as many traditional closeouts as a lot of coaches. We're going to try to either run you off the line or we're going to chop short and dare you to shoot. Um, You know, that three ball has become such a weapon um, that we'd we'd rather sprint a lot closer almost get in your kitchen. We call it um, and run kids off three point lines and try to arc them a little bit and then help behind it. Cause I, I, you know, that three ball can be a killer, but you know, you're going into your offense, your defense today. We, you know, at the high school level, it was very blocked. I mean, I had a session, a half hour of offense, half hour defense, 10 minutes of special situations. And then we might finish with, with competitive shell drill stuff. Uh, And it was very blocked, very regimented, much more flexible at the college level. You know, my practice plan is pretty fluid. It kind of follows the same idea of fundamentals um, transition and then some offense, defense, combo stuff. Um, and you know what? I, I really like a tweak that I'll share with you that you might want to use. Everybody in America runs the, the two-on-one, three-on-two, four-on-three, five-on-four, five-on-five sure, drill. Sure. Um, that's one that's very common. And, and I didn't do it a bunch in high school because I usually had 18 kids in the gym with me, and that's too much standing around. I, am a, I do not want anybody standing around in my drills. I, I want short lines. I want repetitions, and if I'm coaching on the girls' side, repetitions are huge. Right. I think you've got to, everything you do, give them reps. It can't be a line of eight where you're shooting the ball once every 30 seconds. I watch teams, I go to high school games, and I see the teams do the umbrella drill where they have two lines underneath, <laughs> and they pass and go around. Right, and right. And they have, they have 12 kids. If you have ever counted that, Coach? I counted a, a Division one kid a couple of years ago. I was watching as a scouting situation. She shot the ball four times in three and a half minutes.
0: Right. So not enough so I'm shots.
1: I'm sitting there thinking to myself, <laughs> yeah. you're not getting any shots. Yeah. So I think everything that we do as coaches, we have to devise to get as many reps as we can in that. If it, if it's not getting you enough reps, get rid of it. It might look great, it might be like a drill that you that, that the clinic you look and go, man, that looks freaking great. But if you're not getting reps, if you're not getting at least 18 to 20 shots per minute in a shooting drill. Uh, then you're, then it's probably not a drill that, that, that you should use. So I would encourage all coaches to analyze what you're doing. Go, um, But going back to that transition drill that everybody does, so this is kind of a good one to share. What I really like doing, instead of just stopping when it gets to five-on-five, five, what we do is we'll put 90 seconds on the clock, a minute 45 on the clock. So you'll start out, whether you start with a free throw or whether you start rating your two-on-one, it goes, you know, two on one and then it's three on two. The next two kids join in and everybody's seen this drill. But when it gets to five on five, they just keep playing. They just keep playing with the clock going. So now you've 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 got some five on five trips, which is basketball. And it's and it's a great way, instead of just stopping after the one five on five trip. We just keep playing. Okay. And so that's something to think about as a coach. It's just put 90 seconds on the clock and you'll figure out the right time for your team. Cause it is a very tiring drill for the kid that was in first (laughs) the kid that was the one on the two-on-one they've probably gone 12 times up and down the floor um, in that 90 seconds and so it's a great conditioner but it's one of a tweak of an old drill that i really really like um that that, that's been really really good good to to, for us as far as uh teaching the game teaching your your disadvantage advantage drills those kind of things um and then you know any of your other drills i think the more that you can think about putting constraints in your drills. Like you talk about favorite drills. I just think like, like, all right, guys, we're, we're not shooting a good in some of the drills we'll call like paint, you know, Vance used to call streak and that's where, you know, whether it's a certain player only shoots it for us paint. That means we're we're attacking the rim. We're not shooting the three ball. We've missed two or three in a row. Yes. We want to keep shooting them. We have confidence in you, but, but the, the three ball off the paint touch or a, or a hard penetration um, is something I think gets your percentages a little bit higher. So there's just little things and all the things that we do. But I would say if you want to talk about something that I really like doing was add time to that transition drill that everybody runs that that you see most coaches uh, put in their practice plan. Yeah,
0: I love that addition, Coach. And and Before you go, let me ask you is – and I I know this is a controversial topic. Do you think it's better to play more five-on-five or more drills? I mean, I I think we're all battling that – because sometimes I'll run drills, and then when I get to the five on five, it's not if there's not a lot of carryover, and I'm really trying to work on and I really try to get. I'll do a drill, then I'll do some five on five action, just so they can see the carryover. What's your philosophy on that?
1: Well, that's that's the million dollar question, and if I had the perfect answer, I'd probably be making <laughs> millions. Um, sure. But, but I, I, I will tell you this, uh, early on as a young coach, I did way too many drills and there was almost no carryover. Uh, I think each of us has our philosophy and each of you have things that you look at and go, yeah, this is helping us. This, I can remember one year when we were a very high-low team in high school that a two-on-two post-up drill was probably the best thing that we did to help us because our bigs got really good at getting big, working the high-low working the dive and slides, all of those things. So so I think it's a combination. And I do I lean more five on five now than I probably did 10 years ago. Um, just, you know, doing the research, doing the, you know, the, the Chris Oliver stuff where he's always yeah. talking about
0: <laughs> Chris is big. You know,
1: trying to make it transfer. Yeah. And I totally get that. I think there's a time and place for both. I, I think we as coaches have to decide um, what's getting us the most reps, number one. And are they getting reps at a speed that you know, we, we always love to say game speed. I, I think that's awesome to think about. I love getting them as close as we can. But there's times when you really have to teach. I'm an algebra teacher. Uh, and I'm teaching three and four step equations. Uh, you know, I'm going to have to start something pretty basic. I, I can't go right to an exponential equation. Where we're going to have to get rid of my square units. So I, I got to start out somewhere. So I, I think depending on your level, the player that you're at, you, you may need to do a little bit more drill work if you're an eighth grade coach. Um, but they give him that opportunity to show it, and then and then find times in there to stop and show them. Hey guys, this is where we've got this transference. This this long closeout or a paint touch got us an open three. Uh, it's always a battle. I, I think you've got to look and go. What's getting you the most reps? What's the most efficient? And how can I, can I be most effective getting transference? And if that's in a lot of five on five, and that's your big believer, you know, four on four, and your shell to stretch them, and then how to fit? I mean, there's. We could talk another whole podcast about that kind of thing. But I, to me, it's it's a philosophy thing, number one. What's your philosophy? You know, and, and if you're not sure, talk to a bunch of coaches. Ask them what they do. See what looks good for you. Because, again, I think if you believe in it as a coach, you will teach it really, really well. Right, sure. If you're like, oh, you know, I, I was listening to Coach Kurt on a podcast and he said to run this cutter, but I really don't you – know, I don't really give a I, – I don't know if this is going to work. It, it, it's not going to work. It's not going to work, but if you're like, Oh crap, I love this action. And I think it's going to be really good for us. You'll teach it with passion. You'll teach it to the details and your kids will be able to execute it. And you'll have that. Again, I I go back to what I said with, with Mark Neffentorf at the beginning, the details, you know, have a vision of what you want it to look like. If you want your closeouts to look a certain way, then make them do it and hold them accountable to that. If you want your set play to look a certain way, have the vision, make them accountable. You know, one of the things we did in high school is we always got a ton of compliments about how well we executed. Well, how coach, how do you, how do you get them to execute? How do you, you run so many great sets and it's like, well, I demand that they do it in practice, that they have to do it. And if they don't do it, then we're going to do it again. And and we're going to make sure that there's some sort of accountability piece, whether it's maybe a little bit of conditioning, or maybe it's a little bit of, Hey, I'm going to show you how to do this. And we're going to watch you do this. And as the kids get older, I do more of that at the college level, um, like, hey, this was a bad box out. Here's what I need you to do. Show me. And it may be a little embarrassing for 30 seconds. We might laugh about it. But typically, you're getting the point across. In high school, you could, you got 15, 16-year-olds that can run all day long. Um, you know, you might be able to put them on the line a little bit and get a little peer pressure going that way. But um, again, I think it's a philosophy thing. But I do believe if you have the vision and you make your players accountable to that vision, then then you're going to be okay.
0: Yeah. And that's the, the art of coaching, right, Kurt? I mean, and that's not... I don't think you can pick that up through any books. Even I think that's something you have to kind of learn on your own. I know that sounds crazy, but that's the art of coaching. That's what separates your average and gr- good and great coaches, right?
1: Oh, for sure. For sure. And I go back to that story when my first years and, and we won some games, we won some games. So some kids transferred in that were volleyball players at the school I was at, and they were pretty good basketball players. And that was before the one sports really kicked in, but, I, I, you'd ask me, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm a great guy. And then I, I got around Brad and it was like, Oh boy, I don't know. Anything. <laughs> and the, and the sooner as a young coach, you can get to that realization that you really don't know anything. And I don't mean in a negative way. Um, just, just in a way, like I got a lot of learning to do. Kevin Eastman uses the term, are you a know-it-all or are you a yeah, learn-it-all? Sure. And, and, and we need to strive to be, to be learn-it-alls uh, because even at that point, you might, the best thing I think about, let's say I watch a flex offense, and we never ran flex because I thought it was really crowded, and I do use it as a quick hitter, a flex action, but but just the ability to have that discerning brain that looks and goes, oh, that's good action, I don't like it for what I do, but man, that's that's kind of tough to guard, you know, or, or now I know how to defend it a little bit better. Uh, those kind of things just that come from experience and years of watching games, studying the game. Uh, I was so lucky that all those 15 years in Oregon City every summer I would monitor the gym and we would have huge basketball tournaments and I bet you I coached 600 games in the summer just between all the different levels and that goes along with the the 600 high school games I did as a coach mm-hmm. and so you start you start seeing things you know it it's just it's just um that that 10,000 hour rule a little bit that starts kicking in when you get old um, <laughs> I, like I am. Exactly
0: <laughs> Yeah. You start getting more of a feel, right? I mean, that, that's just, that's just through yeah. experience. Um, Coach, man, I really appreciate you sharing, man. Thank you for taking the time up. I know uh, we went fairly long and so forth, man. You're just, you're just a wealth of wealth of knowledge. And I really want you to give the information because I'm going to be emailing you. Cause I'm, I want some of your drills, some of your things that you're doing. Uh, how can the listeners get a hold of you the best?
1: Uh, the, 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 email is just my first name k-u-r-t dot gilsdorf and it's a hard to pronounce name so it's spelled g-u-e l as in larry s as in sam d as in david o-r-f as in frank at gmail and you could kind of google that and probably figure out the spelling and then my twitter is at kurt gilsdorf um, and it's just no no dots no nothing and i do a little 60 seconds with kg which is little timeouts I was almost embarrassed to, uh, to do my first one after I did some championship production videos. Um, it was almost like, oh gosh, I'll, I'll try to sell some videos and do a little segment on, on dribble drive for one minute. And they've kind of taken off. I've had almost a hundred thousand views now um, on my 30 episodes. And so if a coach wanted to go to Twitter and check those out, I, I just do one minute on a topic. Uh, it might be a special situation. It might be my favorite drill. It might be a jump ball play that day, but um, it's gotten some really positive feedback, and I'm actually doing a, an ebook off of that where I'm putting the episodes together in a book uh, to get out there to coach. Yeah,
0: I, I've seen them and they're great, coach. And I, I appreciate you sharing with me. You got a lot of great information. I, um, I, then again, I, I just want to say you've been a. I always look at a lot of my speakers and a lot of my interviews as mentors. You, you've really shared a lot with me and my my listeners. So I really appreciate you coming on, Coach. I wish you the best. Make sure you stay healthy out there in Oregon, okay?
1: Yes, you too, Coach. You, your family, and all your players, and everybody out there, coaches, good luck with that. All right.
0: Hey, this is NBA skills coach Drew Hanlon of Pure Sweat Basketball, and you are listening to the Championship Vision Podcast. Hey, this is NBA skills coach Drew Hanlon of Pure Sweat Basketball, and I've been working hard to build an online basketball school to help players and coaches. I'd love for you to check it out at puresweatbasketball.com.